Hey, it's Eric Crocker. Remember, search my podcast press coverage on the Blue Wire Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can find me on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. You can also find my work on cover1.net as well as climbingthepocket.com. Be sure to check that stuff out. Check those websites out. Give it a visit. There's a lot of great stuff going on, not just from myself, but also my coworkers as well. So be sure to head over to cover1.net and also climbingthepocket.com. On today's show, we're going to talk about rookie minicamps and also do a bit of a deep dive into the 2020 quarterback class. Some of the players that we'll get into are actually Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert, and Washington quarterback Jacob Eason. We also will get into some other prospects that maybe could have a Mitchell Trubisky or even Dwayne Haskins type of rise and where they were just a one-year starter and, and they declare for the draft soon thereafter. And there's a lot of viable candidates and that's something we will get into a little bit later during the latter half of the show. But I want to dive right into this rookie minicamp portion because this is the area of the calendar year that we're currently on right now. And a lot of NFL teams are satisfied. Their fan bases are happy to see the video surfacing of these rookies actually in their team's uniforms, their colors, moving around a bit. And I can't tell you enough how these guys are so happy about just actually getting back to the football side of things. And what I mean by that is they've been through this pre-draft process basically the past three months. They've been training since January for this exact moment. Now they know exactly where their homes are, who drafted them, the team that they're going to be playing for for the next few years. And they're just happy to finally be able to touch the field. They're learning these schemes and exactly what their coaches are asking them to do. And once again, they're just happy to get back to the football side of things. Now, just talking about rookie minicamp. There's basically three types of prospects that will be participating in these rookie minicamps. And the first one is actual draftees. These are the individuals, your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round draft picks, and the guys that you specifically targeted in the draft and risk some draft capital on. So these are the individuals that teams are most excited to get on the field because you can tell right away who you drafted and exactly who they are. And that's what I love the most about these rookie minicamps because it's only so much to watch these guys actually on film, see them in person, get to meet them, and a host of other things as well. But finally getting them on your field to see exactly how they move around on a day-to-day basis, how they interact with all the other guys, and just see how they're fitting in. You can see right away who's a leader and who's more of a laid-back type of person. And that's what I love so much about these rookie minicamps because you can tell right away. And Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, put out a direct quote about this saying that they took a guy in the third round when he was with the Seattle Seahawks and they knew right away this guy just wasn't who they saw on film and who they scouted throughout the entire process. So that is another purpose of these actual rookie minicamps because you can tell right away who was who was going to end up being a good player who has some developing to do or who just doesn't have what it takes. And I know it might be a bit rich to say or a bit too early to say that just seeing a guy in a few sessions of practice, they're just not who you thought they were. But these individuals that have a good eye for talent, they know exactly right away who has what it takes and the mental makeup in order to make it within the NFL, who has the ability or just doesn't have the ability. And that's something that Jim Nagy was alluding to in that tweet. So that's another purpose of these rookie mini camps because you can tell right away who has what it takes and the DNA to make it or the ability. 
who just doesn't look like that guy that they thought they were getting when they did draft him. The second type of individuals that would be participating in these rookie mini camps are priority undrafted free agents. And there's been a lot of great stories about some of these guys actually participating in rookie mini camps. And the great thing about being a priority undrafted free agent is that, of course, you don't get drafted, which is everyone's dream entering the NFL. But at the back end, back end of the seventh round, when you realize you're not going to get drafted, the advantage of being an undrafted free agent and specifically a priority guy is that you can choose exactly where your landing spot is going to be, especially if you have multiple offers. Now, there are some guys that only get one offer, and of course, they're going to take that offer. But for higher echelon type of free agents, you can choose exactly where you want to go. A great example of that this year was Bo Benchow, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin. And Ian Rappaport actually tweeted about this, saying that he had over 20 undrafted free agent offers on the table. And he quickly chose he went to the Detroit Lions. And it might not have been for the most money. But once again, the great thing about being a priority undrafted free agent is that you can choose your exact landing spot. And the Lions need some interior offensive line help, specifically at right guard, which is the exact position he played at Wisconsin. So that's a situation he can go into if he stands out in rookie minicamp, eventually gets a training camp invitation. They sign him, of course. And then... Who knows? He might end up being in the starting lineup a year or two down the road. So you just need your shot as a prior to undrafted free agent. That's another great example from last year. Philip Lindsay was a prime example of that. A player that many thought was going to get drafted out of Colorado last year, put up a bunch of yards while he was the starter there. He ended up being a priority undrafted free agent, signing with the Denver Broncos. And next thing you know, he ends up in the Pro Bowl. So there's a lot of guys who get their chance at these rookie minicamps. They just have to make the most of them. And you have to figure out a way to stand out. And that leads me to the last classification that participates in these rookie minicamps. And that is just tryout guys. And these are guys that are on the same tier as priority undrafted free agents. And they're just looking for a chance. And a great example of this is Adam Thielen from the Minnesota Vikings, a guy that had a really good career when he was in college, but he didn't get a lot of love coming out into the draft, didn't get a lot of priority free agent offers, and he just got a tryout with the Vikings, and he just needed an opportunity to get that, and he took full advantage of that. And there's been plenty other examples as well, but Adam Thielen seems to be the biggest success story that has benefited from that, and He's just a prime example of what hard work and being able to stand out at these rookie minicamps can do for players. And the great thing about all three of these classifications is that this is how you build depth on your team, especially those back into type of classifications with prior to undrafted free agents and tryout guys. And you never know, you might be able to hit on a guy that can contribute to your team right away. Or if you just stash them on the practice squad and eventually develop them, which is something we're seeing a lot here lately, especially with the better teams throughout the league, they're finding these cheap depth pieces that they can store on the practice squad or on their original 53 and just not dress them out with the with the active 46 man roster on game day instead they're just stashing them there and they're developing them because that's how you build depth especially if you're paying a high-end player or some elite players at the high-end parts of your roster you have to be able to fill in these depth pieces these on farther down the line type of positions with cheaper players and that's exactly what we're seeing some teams do throughout the league I want to transition now, and this is something that I'll be doing on every episode from here on out, and that's giving a quick glimpse into some of the 2020 prospects that I find very intriguing, and today we'll be going over some of the quarterbacks, and that's Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, 
Justin Herbert from Oregon, and also Jacob Eason from Washington. Some guys that are considered the top signal callers in the class to date, but there are some other intriguing ones as well, and we'll get into a few others here as we go along. But just starting at the top with Tua Tagovailoa, a player who a lot of people thought should have won the Heisman prior to leading up to the college football playoff, I should say, during the backstretch of the year. That's essentially where he kind of lost the award because it got sort of banged up down the backstretch of the year. He did struggle in some big games. Let's make no mistake about that. And the SEC Championship game was a prime example of that. He did struggle. And Jalen Hurts had to come in and save the day for Alabama. But prior to that point, he looked by far like the best player in the country. Just putting up gaudy numbers uh, through week 11 or week 12, I should say. And he was just throwing darts all over the field. And that's what you notice about his film. And I posted some clips yesterday of him against Tennessee. And that was by far his most impressive game of the year. And there's plenty of other ones as well. Arkansas is another great one to look at. Louisville is another one where it was his first college start ever. But he essentially showed veteran presence when he was out there. And he has a really good background story. He went to the same high school as Marcus Mariota, Timmy Chang, Olin Krutz, and a lot of other Hawaiian-born players as well it was called St. Louis High School in Hawaii so he has a long lineage there and it's not just him that came out of that high school there's some very notable names as I alluded to earlier that came out of that high school and he was the top signal caller in the country coming out of 2016 he was the Hawaiian National and Gatorade Player of the Year so he entered Alabama with a ton of hype and I think to this point he really has lived up to it he's a national champion everyone knows how he came in and saved the day against Georgia in 2017 where he threw the touchdown in the back corner of the end zone in overtime so that's really where his legacy began and since that point I think he has definitely lived up to the hype now 2019 is going to be a huge year for Tua Tagovailoa though because there are some questions about his durability and he got banged up during the back stretch of the year he was dealing with an ankle injury and that's an area where he's going to have to prove that he can remain healthy throughout the year and I'm really interested to see how he responds now that he has a lot of hype coming into this year because he didn't have that going into last year and I know he came in and saved the day in the national championship game but he didn't have the hype going into last year like I think he will this year and yes I know they lost pretty badly to Clemson in the national championship game but now he's getting a lot of number one overall considerations for the 2020 draft and that's a lot on his shoulders he's playing at Alabama probably the most prestigious program in college football so he has a lot on his shoulders all eyes are going to be on Tagovailoa this year, and I just want to see how he responds to that adversity. Now, as far as what he does well, I think by far the biggest or the best trait he does show is his deep ball touch, his ball placement, accuracy, and the way he maneuvers around the pocket. And that's something that's quickly, that's something that you can quickly notice about his game. He is very comfortable within the pocket. And this is something that he talks about. He's able to layer the ball to all three levels of the field. He shows really good awareness of exactly what's going on around him, but the best thing about his game is that he always manages to keep his eyes down the field. He rarely ever drops his eyes or looks at the pressure going on around him. He's always able to zero in on his targets and know exactly where everyone is going to be. He throws with terrific anticipation and it's a quick flick of the wrist and it always looks a bit different with the lefty throwing the ball. And it just looks a bit better for whatever reason. I can't describe it just because there is a limited number of left-handed throwers in NFL history and college football history that has had success. And just seeing them throw and have success, it just looks a bit different. And I think that's why there's a lot of intrigue around Tua Tagovailoa. But 
his touch, it is really, truly amazing. And the Tennessee clips that I posted on my Twitter timeline yesterday, that is just a prime example of that. And there's plenty of other examples throughout the season where he's just dropping the ball in the bucket. He doesn't make life hard on his receivers at all. And that's something that Jerry Judy has said, that he just always knows where to place the ball without hanging them out to dry in the lack of better terms. And he always knows exactly where to go with the ball, it seems like. Now, something he does need to improve on, on the flip side of things, is just taking calculated risk. And what I mean by that is just know when to check the ball down. He tries to do too much, and he has a bit of a sandlot game in him, I will say. And he's good at making off-schedule plays. I will give him that. But he tries to do a bit too much, and he'll run around. His ball security is really bad. From times he'll carry the ball in one arm, like Michael Vick used to do, down by his waist. And it has caused some fumbles from time to time. So his ball security needs to be cleaned up a bit. So he runs around a little bit more than you would like, and he kind of just tosses the ball up. From times and instead of just checking the ball down to the running back and the few times he did do that in the Tennessee game, Arkansas, two games that are great examples of that. They went for large gains. So just limiting or calculating his risk a bit more than what he necessarily tries to do. And he tries to play hero ball. I like to call it a bit too much. And just understanding that it's okay to take these minimal gains on first or second down or even on third down. You're not always going to win every single down or have an explosive play on every down. And that's something that he needs to develop into his game. And it will come over time just because he feels like he has to shoulder the load a lot. And he doesn't have to do that. And he just needs to learn to check down a bit more and just limiting the risk taking that he takes down the field in a sense. So, Tua Tagovailoa is a name that's probably going to be atop of every single quarterback watch list along with Trevor Lawrence prior to this year. But as far as the number one quarterback going into next year, I think he has positioned himself to be that. And he is the number one player on a lot of big media prospects list heading into next season. The next quarterback that I want to get to on my 2020 watch list is Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. A prospect that many thought was going to be the number one overall draft choice prior to going back for his senior season. And I found it really interesting that he opted to go back despite the rumors that he was 75% sure that he was going to return for his senior season regardless. And that was hard to believe for a lot of people despite so many rumors coming out in that favor of him going back to school. But it really came to fruition. Following the team's bowl game, he quickly announced that he was going to go back to school because something that you notice about Justin Herbert is that he's not a rah-rah guy. He is very relaxed. He's very laid back. And he's not your typical quarterback that is going to galvanize everybody through his actions or his emotions. He's rather a prospect that really plays by example. That's really how he that's really how his leadership is exuberated throughout his playing style and it's really wrong to say, but that is going to rub some NFL teams the wrong way just because some teams like a more vocal type of leader or a guy that leads through his actions as opposed to just, just strictly on the field performance. And walking into the NFL locker room, some teams are going to view that he has to have that loud voice in order to get others to believe in him. And this is I love using I use I love using the Mitchell Trubisky example for this just because he went through a similar situation a guy that wasn't known as being a loud rah-rah type of cheerleader or anything like that that just wasn't his nature but it's an area that he learned to do as time moved on and he started to make more plays throughout the year and his voice got louder through that way so maybe that's a way that Justin Herbert can prove that he has leadership skills but leadership qualities is something that probably is going to leak out about about him that he really lacks right now and it's not to say that he doesn't have it or he can't ever develop them 
but just more laid back type of quarterbacks. They just don't seem to fit the NFL mold for some executives for whatever reason. So I'm sure that's a knock that's going to come up about him. But just talking about on the field performance, I think he has everything it takes to be that franchise type of signal caller because I love how he doesn't have overly talented type of arm strength, but he has enough to get it to his spots. And I think his accuracy is pretty good for the most part. Now, he does struggle pushing the ball outside of the numbers from time to time when he has to throw to the far hashes. That's really where he does struggle. But as far as throwing over the middle of the field, hitting quick seams and testing tight windows, he is able to do that. But the one thing that he really needs to clean up is his eye discipline. And what I mean by eye discipline is that he does not have the understanding of being able to look off defenders. So wherever his eyes lock lock into pre-snap or while the while he's processing his reads that's where the ball is going to you don't see him go one to two to three in his reads he really gets stuck on one to two and then if one doesn't come open he'll quickly go to two but he'll stay stuck on there in hopes that they do come open so getting through a progression and then having eye discipline in order to look off defenders to manipulate coverage, that's really something he needs to work on. And that's one thing that I will be keying in on, especially during his senior season, to see if he has matured and developed in that aspect. And also, he has to stay healthy. He's had a broken femur in 2014 and also a broken collarbone in 2016. So he's been banged up for quite some time throughout his entire career, even dating back to high school where he did suffer that broken femur. So he has a laundry list of injuries and his medicals are going to be big, even coming out of Oregon. So if he's able to stay healthy this year, I think it'd be just fine. But if he misses some time and he suffers an injury again this year, the injury questions will definitely be a concern that does come up. And he has a slight frame. That's another area that may cause some caution for some teams. He needs to gain a bit a bit of weight. I know he's listed at 6'6", 233 pounds on Oregon's website, but it's a very lean 233 pounds. So he's going to need to add some muscle onto that. And I don't, I don't think that's going to change from now to his senior year throughout Oregon. But once he gets in the NFL program, starts getting to a training table and then a strength and conditioning program to where he can utilize that every single day just because it's going to be his job now, I think that's something that definitely will help him. So it'll be interesting to see exactly if Justin Herbert does get back on track this year and if he can build off of the momentum that he carried into last year. And if he does, I think he could challenge to a tag of Iloa as the top quarterback in this class, or we'll see if he does distance himself from some of the others in this class that we'll talk about here in the next phase. But before we get to that next segment, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are saving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and also a travel blade cover as well. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your front door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Again, that's harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades comes with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. 
Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E to redeem your razor for only $3. Continuing on with our watch list, Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm is another popular name that will come up in these quarterback discussions. And what I love about Jake Fromm is that He's not always the first name that's mentioned in with these quarterbacks, but I think he's a really safe prospect. And what I mean by that is he has what you like to call mechanics and quiet feet. And that's something that you really can build upon. Now, he's not the most blessed thrower as far as an arm strength standpoint or anything like that. He has some footwork things that he needs to clean up. But as far as mechanics and how the ball is supposed to look when it comes out and where it's supposed to go, I think he's very good at that. And it comes from his former time as a pitcher. And I love his background story. He actually participated in the 2011 Little League World Series where he really was a 5-2 player for a Warner Robins Georgia team that fell one game short of the United States Championship. But during that four-game stretch, he was absolutely shouldering the load. He actually was a really standout pitcher in where he struck out 11 of the 18 batters that he faced. And he batted the ball really well. He had three home runs and also eight RBIs during that same stretch. So, like I said, he was that 5 to a player. And he really stood out, not only in that Little League game, but also during his time in high school as well. One of the best players ever in the state of Georgia. He was the 2016 Georgia 6A Player of the Year, and his career numbers were just ridiculous. He had 12,745 passing yards and 116 touchdowns, and that success really has carried over into his time at Georgia. And like I said, he has the mechanics and the quick feet that you're looking for. Now, he has some struggles with stepping into his throws, and that's where I think he leaves a lot to be desired, but I think this is a big year for him, and he doesn't have the shadow of Justin Fields in behind him, and that's something I think will relieve some pressure off of him. So now, with that pressure not on him as much, you have a really good back in the backfield, DeAndre Swift, and a host of other guys as well behind Swift, so he has that running game to to lean on, and now... He can just focus on being Georgia's top signal caller, and he has been that for the past few seasons. But now, without Fields there, not really no threat behind him, really to threaten him. I think we could see a big year from Jake Fromm, but I don't think he has the upside of some of these other guys. But I think the NFL is really going to like him just because he's seen as more of a safer type of prospect with the developmental tools that you're looking for. He just has to be surrounded by a bunch of guys on the perimeter and a strong running game in order to succeed. So I think he's in a really good situation in Georgia, but I want to see if he can uplift that supporting cast a little bit more than what he did in years past. So this is a big year heading into his junior season at Georgia. The player who Fromm replaced at Georgia in Jacob Eason is now at Washington. And this is a player that a lot of teams are really going to be tracking this year because he sat out last year just to fulfill transfer obligations since he did go from Georgia to Washington. Former highly decorated recruit, has a size that NFL scouts will absolutely salivate over at 6'6", 228 pounds, which is what he's listed at at Washington, even though size really hasn't been a determining factor for quarterbacks the past few years. We've seen that with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray going high number one overall I should say in the NFL draft so size really seems to be a declining factor but there are some teams that will value and they still have those thresholds for that size at the position so he would definitely check that check box so I'm really intrigued by him because we haven't seen him in a year and a lot of people really have forgotten about him even though he was a highly heralded recruit coming out of Georgia the 2015 Gatorade National Player of the Year and by far the top-ranked quarterback in the country coming out that year. And he signed with Georgia, 
And his career got off to a really fast start in Georgia. And he started 12 or 13 games as a true freshman. He ended up recording 2,430 passing yards and 16 touchdowns to just eight interceptions. So, which is really good for a true freshman coming into the SEC. He suffered a knee injury the following year after that. And he only played for six games, I believe it was. And then he just really never got a spot back after that time. And Fromm came in and he played really well. And he only appeared in five more games, let me correct myself, after that point. So with Fromm really coming in and shouldering the load after that, Georgia just kind of turned the page from him. And we see that a lot of times at these big-time schools. It's, even though a highly heralded recruit comes onto campus, they're trying to replace them the following year. And that's just what happened with Eason. And he eventually just got lost in the shuffle. Now he's at Washington to where he's basically going to get a chance to reinvent himself. And he could be in a Dwayne Haskins situation where he comes back for that one year and he just simply puts up ridiculous numbers. And it wouldn't surprise me if he has a big year this year. He ends up declaring for the draft. Now, as far as what he brings to the table, he has all the arm strength in the world that you're looking for. But from the waist down, that's really where his development needs to come because all of his throws are all arm. His footwork is very bad right now. And it's an area that he needs to improve upon. And it's going to be exposed this year a little bit, I think. If he hasn't improved upon that since his time at Georgia, but I think he's a guy that's going to really be learning on the fly. So I'm really interested to see exactly how his progress has really transformed since we last saw him in 2016. And it's been a year since we have seen him play. So I think game speed is something that he's going to have to catch up to. But I think once he catches back up, I should say to the speed of the game, I think we'll see we'll see his development really take off to the next level. So keep an eye on Jacob Eason. Some other sleeper names that I really want to mention. Steven Montez from Colorado. He's a guy that I definitely will be keying in on. KJ Costello from Stanford is another name that scouts are really excited about to this point. Brian Lewerke from Michigan State could be another name. And some smaller school guys that could intrigue some teams. Tom Flacco from Townsend is a name that has been swirling a little bit in league circles already. Yes, he is the younger brother of Denver Broncos quarterback Joe Flacco. So keep an eye on that. And some grad transfers in Kelly Bryant the quarterback from Missouri that that went to Clemson prior to this year. And also Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from Oklahoma, is another name that has a lot of people excited to see exactly what Lincoln Riley can do. And if he can continue the streak of number one overall selections, even though I don't think that's necessarily possible with Hurts. But I would not put that out of the question with Lincoln Riley just because of how great he's made some of these other guys look in years past. So. Don't put it past Jalen Hurts. I don't want to say to be a first-round selection or anything like that, but I think we could see a tremendous boost in his development, especially in that explosive offense with wide receiver CeeDee Lamb and a host of other weapons that they do have as well. So I'm interested to see exactly how Jalen Hurts' development does take off to the next level and if Lincoln Riley can scratch the surface of some of the things that we did see from him, especially early on in his career at Alabama. With that being said, that is my quarterback watch list. I hope you guys also enjoyed me pulling back the curtain a little bit with rookie mini camps. And these are just small discussions that we will have throughout the entirety of my podcast throughout the summer. The next watch list I will be doing is running backs on Friday. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. Once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's at J. R-E-I-D NFL. You can also find my work on cover1.net and also climbingthepocket.com. I will be posting articles and breakdowns on both websites, so be sure to check that out. I'll be back on Friday with a running backs watch list and a host of other topics as well. So, so be sure to stay tuned in to the Draft Board Podcast. 
And once again, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend to leave a five-star review. I will see you guys again on Friday.